I don't know about you, but when, when Gwyneth was just reading Ephesians 1, I was actually quite sad that you know, we're leaving Ephesians 1 behind. Yeah, it's, become a, it's become an old friend at this point. Yeah, it's become something that yeah, I really like and I'm really into. I feel a bit, a bit sad that this is the last, last sermon in Ephesians 1. I mean, okay, we've got Ephesians 2 to look forward to next week, and that's exciting and good and great, but I was a bit, oh, was a bit sad, really. Um, so, I just want to give you a bit of an insight, just for a moment, into the talks that happen at Ruth, our young people's group. Now, I don't want the youth leaders to panic at this point, as to what I might say, but uh, just to give you an idea, a bit of an insight, uh, Jai is leading us at the moment through a set of talks based around the crucifixion of Christ. He's doing a great job in it, I have to say, really encouraging, but... He's framing it in the sense of superheroes. You know, he's into like you know Marvel comics and everything. So it's all it's all based around you know Iron Man and and the Hulk and all that you know all that lot. Uh, I'm sure I should know them more than I do. Uh, but Jai asked a really interesting question of of the kids. I thought I'd ask you the same question. I think whilst theoretical, it's quite an insightful one. It's quite interesting, and that is that if you if you had the option to have one superpower like a superhero, what would you choose? If you could, be, if you could take you know, one of the superhero powers, like Superman or any of those guys, Thor, any of those guys, which would you choose? You know, do you want to fly? Do you want to be invisible? You want to be faster than a tall building, or be able to leap speeding trains? You know, what, what, what is it? You know, what, what do you? What would you? What would you choose? Uh, just get the kids out in the morning, first thing in the morning. I mean, well, yeah, what superpower would you? Would you? Would you want to have? And, and that kind of got me thinking about power, because because this this the the portion of Ephesians that we're in now is, is all sort of about thinking about power. What is the idea of having? power, not a power, but having power generally bring to you. If I said to you, um, who do you think has power over your life? Or, or do you want to have power over your life? I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of things in the media all the time in, in our society about ideas like reproductive rights and, and rights like rights like euthanasia, both very controversial. As kids, we want the power to go to bed uh, when we want to. You know, as adults, we want the power to go to bed as soon as we can. You know, uh, as teenagers, we want the power over what to wear. In the twenties, in our twenties, we want the power to to be able to drive a car and to be able to go out for a drive. As we enter our sixties, we want somebody else to drive, and we don't want to be driving anymore. We want control over our lives. We, we, we fight against that idea of, of control. We want to feel, feel powerful. That, that might be physically, that might be emotionally, that might be in wisdom or wealth or in terms of the, the decisions that we make, whatever it is. We, we want to feel that we have power over our own lives. But all that stuff there, all that stuff I'm talking about, all those kind of decisions I'm talking about, it's just a drop in the ocean, really. 
I mean, in terms of power, it's just like little amounts of power. It's not, it's not the kind of awesome power that we're going to be thinking about today. The kind of power we're thinking about today is, is deeper and richer and older and higher, higher and wider and just is an order of power just that is in a totally different league. And that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. So before we dig into it, let me have a, let's have a moment of prayer and then we'll see what's going on here in the book of Ephesians. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God alone, uh, that you are uh, God and that is the way it is. Uh, Lord, that you are on your throne and as you sit there you are indescribable, that you are unchangeable, that you are unconquerable, that you are unstoppable, that you are so many things. Lord. And we just are... We just want to take some time today, Lord, to think about how powerful you are and how awesome you are. Father, I pray that we would take away a real sense of that power and a real sense of that power in our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen. So, as, as Ian said, we're, we're continuing in our study in the book of Ephesians called Captivated and uh, picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago to think about prayer. So we're in verse 19, picking the plot back up. Uh, and Paul is continuing to talk to the, or to write, excuse me, to the Ephesian Christians about um, that idea of, he wants their eye, the eyes of their hearts to be opened. And he's talking about the kind of things that the eyes of their heart would see. And he talks about uh, the hope they've been called to. He talks about the, the inheritance that they have as co-heirs with Christ. But also where he ends up today, he's praying that they may know the power of God. It says there, verse 19, the incor in incomparably great power for us who believe. And he, in this, in, and he used two, two adjectives there, doesn't he? You know, incomparable and great. He also talks about his being mighty. He, he's trying to find uh, adjectives. He's trying to find words to describe this, this thing, this big, incredible, marvellous thing that, that he's struggling with. Uh, we sang there, you know, indescribable, incomparable, uncontainable. But, you know, how do you put across something that, that is like the power of God? Yeah, who can do the stuff that God does? Uh, the human race might attempt from time to time to do, to do things that, that God has, has always done from the beginning of time and scientists will say, oh, oh we, we just made it rain by using some little crystals or something. Or, or, they'll, say, uh, or they'll say, oh, we've been able to clone a sheep or, or whatever it might be whatever it might be you know, and they, they appear in the headlines you know, headline, you know scientists clone a sheep it, it was uh, was it Dolly it was Dolly the sheep wasn't it um, uh, you know a scientist creates the building blocks of life whatever it may be a clever person spends ten years making machine go bing 
uh, whatever it is, you know. But God does all this stuff all the time. He, he's been doing it since the beginning of the world. He does it without really thinking about it. He's God and he's just so powerful. And just going, he doesn't have to spend ten years doing it. This is just God. He just, he just does this without breaking a sweat. He runs the universe in that way. Yeah, this is an incredible amount of power that we're talking about. Uh, it, it's something that is so big that people actually try to ignore it or they don't actually see it. But but Paul says it's the working out of of some mighty strength. This This is not some weak application of power. This is not like watching... This is not like watching World's Strongest Man. Who watches World's Strongest Man at Christmas? Who watches what... Who watches World's Strongest Man at any time of the year? I mean, that is a question that worries me quite a lot. Because to me, it's just a very strange programme. But that's another story. Yeah, it's, it's not like that. It's not like apple bobbing or something like that. This is God's mighty strength. This is his awesome display of power. And Paul's prayer there, in verse 18 and 19, is that we might know that and see it. Like the Christians in Ephesus, our hearts might be open to see his power at work. And so Paul's got a bit of a problem, hasn't he? You see, that God is indescribable. So so how is Paul actually going to try and get this across? How is Paul going to get this message across? It's a tricky one. And so what he does is he says, well, okay, what I'm going to do is, because I can't exactly describe it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you in a particular way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you in the life of Jesus what that looks like. And I think I want to suggest to you that that is the best way of appreciating the power of God is by seeing how it worked in the life of Jesus. And, the, the, and, so, and Paul does that. He, go, he, he leaps into it and so he says the, this, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Okay, he said mighty strength, but he says which he exerted in Christ. And then he starts talking about how God applied, 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 applied that power to the life of Christ. How? Okay, well, first thing he did was God gives Jesus his resurrection. God raises Jesus from the dead. You're talking about power. Who else can raise a three-day-old corpse from the dead other than God? Okay, that is just not going to happen. Who can take someone who's got pierced hands and pierced feet, who's got a big hole in their side, and raise them from the dead? Who can make that person then capable of eating a piece of fish? Three days after they've died. No one other than God. You know, if you want a display of God's power, I'm not sure that there is anything more powerful than that in the Bible. But he just doesn't do that and Paul goes on to talk about some of the other things he does. He just doesn't raise him from the dead. He also then puts him at his right hand, at the right hand of God in heaven. Luke 24 says that he, Jesus, was taken up to heaven during the ascension. And we've been studying, haven't we, the book of Revelation on on Wednesday night. And just some of the pictures there, uh, the word pictures of the throne room of heaven as Jesus enters as the Lamb of God comes in. Just an incredible scene, an incredible thing. Uh, that God has raised a physical body 
in this case Jesus, to heaven and then not only raised him physically next to him but also given him authority, given him power. Say, okay, and this is, a, this, is a very, this is a more subtle but still a very, very large demonstration of power to say all this power that's mine I can now actually give that to you. I can pass that authority to you. Uh, it's not that only God can do that. He has the authority to pull that across and give that to Jesus, his son. Uh, and, and you can see there, in, in, uh, it says there in, in verse 21, he, he does it far above all rule and authority. He, means, he doesn't mean far above in the idea that heaven is far above the earth physically. He's not talking about, about that. He's talking about it is much bigger than. He means a greater magnitude. He means authority and dominion and power that is bigger than. You know, whatever earthly authority you can think of, if you think of, of uh, President Obama uh, or, or some dictator or, or uh, parliaments and kings, you know, people who've ruled, uh, Caesar ruling a vast empire, all that. You know, whatever you can think of like that, Christ's authority is far above it. It is much higher than it is. An, it is ten orders of magnitude higher than the authority those kind of people have. If, if perhaps it's, you know, think about uh, Bill Gates, you know, industrialist, lots of wealth, lots of power. Christ's dominion is far higher. It is far bigger than that. It said, it said it's in the paper, Apple, has, uh, Apple Corp has got 142 billion pounds worth of cash in the bank or something. Forget it. Jesus' authority, way, way above that. Whatever, whatever knighthoods, peerages, golden globes, lifetime achievement awards, whatever, Christ is far, far higher above that. And look back again there. Not only now, but forever. There's never going to be anybody. There never has been anybody. There never will be anybody with this kind of rule and authority. And so, and so everything is put under his authority. Notice again there that he says, at the beginning of verse 22, all things are placed under his authority. How many things are included in the phrase all things? All things. Everything is included under that authority. There is nothing that is not part of Jesus' authority. Use the phrase there, placed under his, under his feet. But, he's not finished yet. God has not finished yet. He still has some other things to do. What he also does is he gives Jesus authority in his, and his fullness over the church. And you're like, hmm... Well, that's not a particularly big deal, is it? You know, these popes, these those kind of people. You know, that's not, you know, head of the Anglican Church, whatever. You know, that's not a big. That's not so much of a big deal. Now, I want to tell you that is an enormous deal. That is a huge deal. We're just seeing that wrong. Uh, when we're seeing the church through our own earthly eyes. We're thinking, you know, churches can be a messy place. We know that because because they're reality. Things are not always organised as we want them to be. Uh, uh, they're not always as wise as the latest TV guru. You know, the people uh, are just as flawed as everyone else. 
Those things might be true, but that is not how God sees it. Just turn with me, just over, in fact you might actually be on the same page, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. Just, uh, it might be over a page or it might be the same page or I don't want to dwell too long on this because we'll be studying this uh, when we get to Ephesians chapter 3, you know, 2016, whatever that is. Um, uh, just have a look here at, at Ephesians 3 and verse uh, 10. Uh, his intent, so this, this is God, his intent was that now, through the church, the, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so just rewind that again. So, so get this. He's put Jesus in charge of the church. God's made him the head of the church. Jesus didn't appoint himself. Okay, to be clear, God's made it, God's put him in charge of the church. He's done that freely. Yes, it's a, it's a, free, it's a, a free gift. And he's, and he's given Jesus to the church to do a few things. He's going to be its head. He's going to have authority over it. Uh, the church is going to be unified under him, that idea of the body of Christ. But get this, and this is completely brilliant, all the beings in heaven are going to look at the church and say, that is incredible. That's the wisdom of God. That is a perfect picture of the wisdom of God. It's staggering. We've known God for a long time because we're in heaven. But that is staggering and incredible. And, and God has given all that to Jesus. What an incredible thing. And then Jesus is going to build that church. Jesus has asked the Holy Spirit to come to that church, to, to be in the church. And he's our saviour. He's the one who says, says to us all, come, come to me if you're weak and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But, but I, wanna, I hope you're getting perhaps just a glimpse, just a little bit of a, an idea of how much power God has and how much he showed in the life of Jesus. Uh, but you might still be asking the question, well, okay, that you might be true, that might be good good theology, that might be good head stuff, but, but how does that relate to me? You know, so what? What's that to do with? And this is really where I want to to uh, camp out on sort of make the main the main point here is I want to go back to verse 19 there in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and where it says and his incomparably great power for us who believe so that power that, that Paul has been taking this time to describe and say look at all these things that happened to Jesus is for us who believe by that I mean Christians so, so what Paul has done, he said, he said, that power that you can see in being applied in Jesus' life is also what is happening for Christians. So if I say, if I say, if I'm trying to describe for you rich in some way, and I say, uh, rich is good at archery, 
Right? Okay, you get the idea he's good at, good at archery. But if I say he's like something else, if I say Reach is like Robin Hood, then you have pictures of him, you know, shooting apples off Hannah's head, of, you know, doing the thing where you, you shoot the arrow and it, and it splits, you know, the bit down the middle, can you split that? I mean, you can apparently do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so, so what Paul is saying here is, look, this power that you're seeing here in Jesus' life is applied to believers. So that is, if you're a Christian here today, that is to you. And I want to suggest to you that the kind of things that, he, that Paul talks about in the verses afterwards give us some clues about how those, that power might actually be applied. He's saying God did these things for Jesus and there's a similar power being applied in your life. So that... Uh, You know, this is a mighty power, but as we'll see in a moment, perhaps one that we don't always perceive as being there. Is this just religious talk? Is this theory? Is this mush? I want to suggest to you that it is not. And first of all, the first way in which that happens is the fact that Christians are saved. The fact that when you put your faith in Jesus and you turn away from that, when you turn away from that enticing path in life, that nice, easy path where everything's uh, attractive and comfortable and easy and you say, no, you know what, I'm going to go down a different path here. That when you receive that, that gift of God's grace, then that is an enormous use of power. And it mentions that very briefly in Ephesians. It's still, still out in Ephesians. Uh, if you're, you might be turning back, you might not. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. I'll read that for you just, just in the interest of time there. Verse 7, chapter 3. This is Paul. I became a servant of this gospel. Notice by the gift of God's grace. And notice then, given me through the working of his power. So one way in which God uses his power, that power, that mighty power we talked about, in the lives of Christians is he gives them a gift of grace. When we say grace, we mean being treated in a way that we don't deserve. Being treated in a way far better than we, we deserve. And what, you know, we say, well, okay, uh, you know, is that, is that a, big, a big use of power? Absolutely. That idea that your heart has been changed, the idea that, that actually you are dead. At that point, you are dead before he gives you faith. And then, bang, you're alive. You've suddenly become alive. Again, drawing that, anal- drawing that analogy from the resurrection of, of Jesus. That is an incredible piece of power. But do we always see it? Do we always perceive that? Uh, he gives us, and he will be giving us, new resurrection bodies. Just turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. I will give you the page number. It's only a couple of pages over. Uh, 1180. Yeah, it depends which church Bible you have. 1180. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, oh, maybe go back to 20. 
But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What that is saying is that when believers in Christ are resurrected, when Jesus returns, they are going to get a new perfect body. Now, if you want to know how much of a use of power that would be, I got a good impression of that when I looked in the mirror this morning. You know, and I look at it and I'm sort of like, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, the eyesight's going, the, uh, the waistline is gone, a lot of other things have gone either south or north, depending on exactly what we're talking about. But, but no, God is going to replace this with a perfect body. What an incredible idea. And in my own case, what an incredibly large amount of power he's going to have to use. Um, That is an enormous application of God's power in the same way that Jesus was given, uh, the same way that in the resurrection Jesus' body was restored. But also, how else is it going to happen? Well, Jesus uh, is going to give us uh, energy. As we, as we work for him. I think uh, we've said before, the primary way in which God works in the world at this point is through his church. In this, in this age of the world is that God works through his church. And his church is a, is a group of people, it's us, and he energises us in order to go. So he provides energy for us to do that. If he doesn't, his purposes are not going to get done. Um, there's a song here that we've sung once or twice that includes these lines I'm going to read to you. I won't sing them. Uh, you'll be glad to know. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, uh, the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. The first time I heard that song, it blew me away. The, the first time I heard that song, the idea that, that, that it incorporates, that, that my resources, my energy, my evo- emotions, my motivations are limited and run out really quickly, which they do. It's okay. It's okay because my God is a generous God and a loving God who wants to give me energy and wants to give me motivation and who wants to, to give me his resources and his resources are limitless. I can, go to his, I can go to the well, I can drink as much as I want to and the level of water in the well has not changed, it has not gone down. We can all go to the well and we can all drink and the level of the water does not go down, it just fills up again. And that... Uh, is God's power working in his church. Something else uh, that is mentioned, let's go back to the book of Ephesians and uh, really nearly at the end there, chapter 6, and we're going to briefly look at verse 10 again. Don't want to dwell too much on this because this will be a a future future sermon at some point, but, uh, and and you'll be familiar with this passage, some of you. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and what and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's 
scheme. So God gives us power to stand for him, specifically in terms of that passage, to stand against the devil. The devils and the, the rulers and principalities, they are one of our three great enemies. If you are a Christian, we've, I don't know if you, you realise this, but you have three enemies. You have the devil, you have the world, the, 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 the world who is out there trying to pull you in another direction, and our own sinful natures. And God's power allows us to stand against the devil. To put on the full armour of God. Uh, and again, some of, the, some of that passage there, I think you could very well argue, is talking about the... Uh, some other ways in which the power of God is manifest in terms of, of faith and, and the other things that make up that passage there. Um, well, all well and good, and you're saying to me, if you're a Christian, you say, okay, yeah, well, I get those things, and, you know, okay, like what we're talking about. But what if you are here and you are not a Christian today? How does that idea sound to you? This idea of power in, in, in believers' lives, does it sound intriguing? Or weird? Uh, does it make you? Does it make you want it? Do you, does it make you want that power? Does it make you want to reject it? Does it sound just like mumbo jumbo? What? What is it? When we say that God has applied His power into our lives, are you thinking, yeah, it's some kind of, yeah, like he said, it's some kind of, or he thinks it's some kind of superpower thing, like I said at the start? Um, no, no, no. Um, I want to say to you that there is something in Christians' lives that God has given them as a gift which, which I hope that as you get to know Christians you will get a glimpse of. You will start to see the way in which God is working in their lives. Perhaps in these ways, perhaps other ways. There are other ways in which God applies power into, into Christians' lives. Um, I think there's a common perception that Jesus came to make bad people good. That, that Jesus came so that we could all be good people. And yes, certainly Jesus wants us to be more like him. That is true. That is not the primary reason Jesus came. You can see it there back in Ephesians 1 verse 20. The, the, the main reason he came, the main reason that Christ rose from the dead is to make dead people live Colossians 2.13 says we are dead in our sin and although, um, but we don't recognise it, it's some kind of uh, the very popular moment, some kind of zombie film you know where everyone's walking around and they are dead and they don't necessarily realise they're dead but there's no when we are like that and I was like that before I was a Christian, there is no spiritual life in me. Uh, I was being killed by the things I was doing wrong, by the fact I was wrong in my own nature, by the fact I'm a rebel. I don't want to do what God wanted. Jesus takes people who are dead, and when they put their trust in him, when they, when they turn their life towards him, he makes them alive. He doesn't bring them back to life because they were never living in the first place. He actually gives them life in the first place. That's what he did on the cross. He took, 
He took my sin that was keeping me as that, as that dead person and he gave me instead his healthy, normal life. And God approved this when he raised Jesus from the dead. And God wants to apply that same power to our lives if we put our trust in him. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. Again, talking to believers. Can you see that, that idea of Paul's again repeating the idea of God's power in Jesus is then applied to his believers? If you want that power to be applied in your life, if you do want that idea of, yes, I want a life where I can experience that, then today is the day. Repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus as your Saviour. Because your sin, let's face it, if you're being honest, is unsatisfying, it's bitter, You are, you are spiritually dead in that way. Why not be alive for the very first time? Please do not leave, if that is you, do not leave here today without talking to the Christian friend who brought you or to someone who's been up here at the front. Uh, we would love to tell you more about that, please. Yeah. You, may be not, you may not be a Christian here and you don't feel that. You may say, you know, I don't care. I, I don't care about the stuff you've been talking about, Ian. I'm just sitting here and whatever. Let me be clear with you, you are at risk of falling into the hands of an angry God who will judge you in a way that is beyond my ability to describe how terrible it would be. I don't say that to judge you, I say that as someone who was in exactly the same place before I became a Christian. I'm your brother in that way. I'm not judging you. Please, I appeal to you, reconsider Think again about what this life in Christ might be. But also you might be here today and you're a believer in Christ but you're saying, I don't feel that power. I don't see that power in my life. And I suspect that that's true for, for many Christians at different times in their lives. And Paul, I think, gives us the clue there. If we go back to verse 18, I pray also, sorry, chapter 1, verse 18 of Ephesians, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that... He's praying that the eyes of our heart might be opened so we can see the kind of things we're talking about there and many of the ways in which God uh, puts power into our lives. and in the day-to-day business of life, it, yeah, we, we get busy. We get caught up in things. We get caught up in the to-do list. Uh, when we're thinking about the power of God, sometimes we're thinking about miracles or, or suddenly being nice or having a, a nice time or, or, or maybe our day-to-day life is full of hardship and suffering. Maybe the lives of the people around us are full of hardship and suffering. And it's difficult to appreciate. It's difficult to step back and see the big picture of, of God's incredible power. We're looking for answers and, our, and hope. And 
we're just not seeing where those might lie. We get bombarded by social media, we get bombarded by scepticism of people who, who, or even hostility from friends or maybe even family. We want certainty and insurance. Assurance. The cash runs out, the medical report comes in, the papers arrive from the solicitor, the phone rings, the phone doesn't ring. Where is God's power in our lives? All of those situations are hard and maybe even desperate. But Paul said this, the same guy who wrote this, Paul said this, and he knew what he was talking about when he said it. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he also said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, go back to the idea of opening the eyes of our heart, we fix our eyes on, not on what is seen but what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is, inter- is eternal. Why did he talk like that? Because when you realise how God is acting in your life, when the eyes of our hearts are opened, then we, know, we get that perspective that Paul had there that I've just, I've just read about. That's when we, when we get to understand that we're going to share in the very glory of the Son of God. When we see this in our lives, in other Christian lives, then we say, you know, yeah, things are tough. Things are really hard. But they're not the big picture. They're not the main thing. I also want to suggest to you that sometimes we want to rely on our feelings. We say, I don't, I don't feel the power of God, and so it's not working in my life. That's a dangerous thing, a dangerous path to go down. Uh, you know, gravity happens all the time. We don't always feel it. Feel it in that way, you know, I mean, I'm standing here, you know, am I conscious? I mean, okay, now I'm talking about it, I'm conscious of gravity. When I'm walking around, when I'm uh, sitting down, standing up, uh, lifting things or whatever, uh, the power of gravity is, is affecting me. It's in my life, but I'm just not I'm just not aware. I don't feel it at that time. The power of God, if you are a Christian, I will tell you now, is working in your life all the time. But you may not feel it at a particular time. But let me finally say to you, and this is something Ian Jones was talking about a couple of weeks ago, the idea that after the fall of God's creation, after, after God's creation had been so scarred deeply by sin and death in the Garden of Eden, that we can appreciate God's power by the fact that at the end of Ephesians chapter 1 here, the idea that the, the, the power is being used to bring together that creation again, to restore it to what it should be, we can see that there 
uh, when, when Paul is talking about everything being the authority being given to Jesus, I pointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, talk about that, and the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This, this idea, this, this motif, is this idea of Christ filling everything. Not only has he got authority in everything, but, but progressively Christ is filling everything. He's restoring creation. He's bringing it back in, God's, in accordance with God's will so that it is what it was intended to be. Yes, under his rulership. It's like, it's like uh, you see this sometimes where someone films a film and then they put the film in the projector backwards and run it backwards. And everything is then put back together again. You see, you see it on the movies sometimes, you know, they, they blow up a building, and it, you know, it all pulls down, they pull the film in backwards and the, the building goes back together again, sort of defying gravity in that way. Um, so, it's not a perfect analogy, but that's what's happening. One of the reasons it's not a perfect analogy is because, whereas it was Adam who put everything and destroyed everything when he made that decision, it is Jesus who's bringing it back together again in that way. So I want to encourage you if you're here today and you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour that you are a part of that process. The power of God in your life is being acted out as, as we live our lives as Christians. That God is, is pleased to use us in some fashion, in some way and sometimes we see that clearly sometimes we see that quite dimly. Sometimes we may struggle to see it at all. But let me encourage you that although we may not necessarily grasp it, he's restoring order. He's bringing about the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And he's doing that in our lives and through our lives. Let's pray together.